and welcome back to A Texan Abroad. This is the 19th in my series of 30 political conversations, video podcasts, that I'm doing leading up to the U.S. presidential election next month. You can catch the video versions on my Instagram feed, a.texan.abroad, or the audio versions on my podcast feed, A Texan Abroad, available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Find me in either place, subscribe, rate, review, comment, let me know how I'm doing and what you're thinking about what I'm saying. And as always, it's an open invitation for anyone who currently or maybe in the future wants to come on the pod and talk to me about any of these topics or basically anything else. Last night, we had a nice little conversation about crime and prison, essentially taking away someone's rights or freedoms because they have actually violated someone else's rights or freedoms. And that's where I'd like to direct the discussion tonight, talking about rights in general. Uh, the right to do this, the right to do that, the right to vote, the right to free speech, the right to freedom of religion, uh, all of these kinds of different things. And I think a great place, a uh, philosophical place, if you will, to start this is where do these rights come from? Uh, are they innate? Are they endowed in every individual, which I think to some extent they are? Um, or does it matter actually where you're born? You know, while I don't think it should matter where you're born, I think logistically and practically it actually does. Uh, I have a few different kind of interesting, what I call alien theories, which is if you had a supreme kind of intellectual being that came down and just looked at how we were doing on Earth, the way we were running life and society and everything else, and were just going to ask us questions. You know, in sports they have, if the aliens came down and just looked at the best basketball player, they'd choose that one. Well, I have some of those kind of alien theories of my own, and one of them is actually just countries and borders in general, that we are the same species, but yet we draw these kind of semi-imaginary lines in the sand. Uh, and on one line, you're from, you know, if you're born on this line, you're from Texas, and if you're born on, you know, this side of the line, you're from Mexico. And your rights and your duties and your responsibilities and everything else, the life that you are entitled to actually kind of changes and in a dramatic way uh, depending on what side of that line you might be born on. Uh, that's not to say that it's better to be Texan or Mexican or Russian or Ukrainian or anything else. I'm just saying it's very strange to me and I think if we looked at it from kind of a uh, stand back perspective, that's why I take the intellectual alien kind of argument. If you looked at it from that kind of uh, going back I think you would kind of say that is a little bit strange. Now, that's part of society. That's part of how we've decided to kind of govern ourselves and live in this particular world. I have dreams and aspirations that maybe one day, you know, as in a lot of sci-fi movies, Earth will become its kind of own country, but who knows if that'll ever happen. Regardless, I think it's important when talking about rights and freedoms to include that kind of concept, because I do think that what rights you are entitled to are sometimes a product of where you're from and where you live. I don't think they should be, but I think they logic, I mean, logistically are. Yeah. And so for this discussion, I'd like to actually turn to the place where I was born and some of the rights that I learned about, at least in school, and some of the rights that I think actually are more um, innate in all humans. Yeah. I kind of turn to the Declaration of Independence. And I like the phrase, and we actually had to memorize the preamble, or not the preamble to it, um, but the parts of the Declaration of Independence and recite it in, in school. Uh, and I'm glad, you know, at the time I hated it, but I'm glad that I was made to do it because now 
Uh, there's some speeches, there's things that I was made to memorize that I still quote and think about to this day. So in the Declaration of Independence, uh, we are all endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights, that among those are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's pretty good, pretty succinct. Three, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And the third one is not actually that all-inclusive. They don't say right, life, liberty, and happiness. No, 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 no. And I think that's one thing that we get a little bit wrong in more modern-day society, that we have this right to everything that makes us uh, you know, happy or that we need to be happy or that we want to be happy. We don't have the right to be happy. We have the right to pursue what makes us happy. We have the right to pursue our dreams, our hopes, our ambitions. We don't have any right, innate or otherwise, to actually achieve those ends, to actually succeed uh, in making our perfect version of life. We have the right to pursue it to some extent. Yeah, to, I would say to a large extent. Um, I'll get into my kind of theory of rights in just a minute. But I think that's pretty good. In one sentence, they were able to sum up all the rights that we have in kind of three different things. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. A good friend of mine, Bob, who I've mentioned multiple times on here, messaged me yesterday about, uh, about the complexity of law question I posed yesterday. And he said, actually, we should limit laws to the number of words in the Constitution. If you can outline an entire government and that kind of time frame or word count, why can't you make a law about any particular things or all the laws in, in that amount of words as well? I like that. And I like the idea as well about taking rights and doing the same things. Um, because, and this is the second question, why have so many rights that didn't exist before? Why have they actually come into existence in modern times? Uh, I think it's because we, we, we tend to feel a little bit entitled. Um, I'm reminded of, I think it was a, a Louis C.K. Or, or a Louis Black thing uh, that I saw that was basically a guy gets on an airplane, didn't know that there was Wi-Fi on the airplane. He gets told there's Wi-Fi on the airplane, and 10 minutes later, he's angry because the Wi-Fi's slow, yeah? Uh, we don't have something, and the next moment that we actually get it, we want it to be better, and then we think we're entitled to it. We think we have the right to privacy, which, again, we can argue whether, whether we do or not, and to what extent we have the right to privacy. But where did that right to, quote-unquote, privacy come from? Um, is it because of how we've kind of evolved as a society or as a government or whatever? We have, we're fighting now about the right to data privacy, right? I have the right to kind of disappear on the internet, to search. I have the right uh, to have a good search engine that doesn't keep the questions that I ask that search engine. That's a very important thing to me. I don't want them to keep the information that I actually give them. I want them to delete it. Now, again, most of you who've watched my kind of comments on that particular thing, know my ideas about it. That being said, we can argue all day about how much data privacy you have or should have. My question is, or I think the topic for debate and discussion is, where do all these rights come from and why do we feel so entitled? Yeah, I think the right to the pursuit of happiness is enough. That is you can try and do the things and live the life and build the life that will make you happy. That doesn't mean you have the right to everything. You don't have the right to have your 
very suspicious, ill-informed, or maybe ill-informed tweet distributed to as many people as possible. Twitter, as a business, gets to decide how disseminated or not disseminated uh, that tweet gets to go. You don't have the right to a Twitter account, period. That's just not something that you're born with. I'm sorry for those of you who think you do have the right to a Twitter account or a Facebook account or, or to share something. You have the right to think as you want. If you want to think that the earth is flat or shaped like a donut or that uh, vaccinations cause autism or anything, there's no one in the world that can teach you, I mean, that can take your right to believe or not believe something away. But they can take your right to spread disinformation across a private platform away from you. And that gets me into the third question. Like, how do we and how much should we allow our rights to be um, limited in some way, regulated in some way? I've got a pretty simple rule. Um, now, obviously, there's nuance and complexity when we get into real life and practicalities. But my, my rule's pretty simple. Your rights end when another person's rights begin. And, of course, there's some overlap there. And uh, what exactly do you mean begin? I kind of tend to mean more, you know, real harm. Physical or, you know, financial or whatever kind of harm, yeah, that you can cause to another person. I do not mean emotional harm. I once, and I still do, ask students from time to time, do you think you have the right not to be offended? Um, because that's essentially, there are, there are laws on the books in countries, actually there's one in Russia that protects uh, religious people from being offended. There's also one in Australia that actually uh, protects minorities uh, from anyone saying something offensive about them in public media. And I asked them, do you think that you should have, there should be a law against it, that you have the right not to be offended? And Typically, they say yes, and I want to know, why do you, where did you get this right from? Because I say you have the right to be offended. In fact, that's one of the things I pride myself on. Not necessarily offending you, but pushing your ideas, opening your mind, cracking it open just a little bit to the possibility that what you think might not be true. You might find that offensive, and I don't mean to you know, inflict some sort of neg negative emotion on you. What I do mean to do is try to get you to think outside of your zone, outside of your echo chamber, so that you can actually come to some other realizations in life. And speaking of offense, the last couple of questions, I'm gonna offend some friends back home. Do you have the right to bear arms? So that's American legal governmental speak for, do you have the right to own a gun? It's a question that a lot of people struggle with in the US. Uh, I say struggle with because there's a large group of people that want to tell you they do have that right and it's unfettered. And there's a large group of people that want to tell you that you don't have that right. I would say, again, I think you do have the right to own a gun. Yeah, I think that's fine. If you want to go to a, sh a shooting range, if you want to hunt, if that's part of your culture, it's fine. I don't think there's any problem with it. The problem is that when you have kind of unfettered access to firearms that are not absolutely necessary, yeah? and I think regulations around guns are perfectly acceptable. Yes, there are the one-off circumstances where you might need a gun today or tomorrow to defend your life or something like that. I think they're very few and far between the circumstances where you might need an AK-47 or whatever else. 
I understand there's nuance in each situation. But as I've said a couple of times in these conversations, I don't think you make rules for the 3%. I think you look at 90%, 97% of the time what needs or should uh, or is most likely to happen. You make the simplistic rules regarding those situations and then you try to figure out exceptions, maybe not even ingrained in the rule, but exceptions to that particular rule based on that other 3% that doesn't kind of fall into what's normally happening. So the last question, why has gun legislation, why has gun regulation not been effective, not been enacted in the U.S.? And it's because, strangely, the, the right, who are very adamant about their guns, or conservatives, I will just say, who are very adamant about their guns, are taking the stance that actually a lot of people on the left take when it comes to data privacy and other things, which is the slippery slope fallacy. The idea that if you take my gun, then you can take my knife. And if you can take my, you know, Bowie knife, then you can take my, you know, kitchen knife. And then you can take my spoon and my fork. And then you can take my house and there's nothing I can do about it. It's a fallacy. A fallacy is a flaw in logical thinking. However, people like to use that argument when they're talking about the right to bear arms, which, by the way, in law school, I had a great professor who told me uh, and argued actually quite strongly and not incredibly effectively, but close, that if you study the history uh, of the Bill of Rights, that they did not mean private citizens. They actually meant only militia. But that's beside the point. The reason that that, gov that legislation hasn't been act enacted in a lot of states is because of this slippery slope fear. We should not necessarily fear those, them, uh, we should not fear our rights being regulated to some extent. That's okay. That's the agreement that we have with society. We have the right to, we have fundamental rights like the freedom of speech, but they are limited because if my speech causes the imminent harm uh, of another person, then I can't say that thing. I can't incite people to violence. So we have to understand that one, we are not actually entitled to as many things as we think we are. And two, we need to limit those things when it comes to protecting other people. Think about that. Think about what I said and whether you agree or disagree. And until tomorrow, I'm a Texan abroad. <laughs>